Hello. You're on with Nick and Fiona. In a normal American production, I'd probably get fired after a week. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Nick, what are we talking about today? Well, Fiona, as you know, we are gearing up for the holidays, so this episode we're going to devote entirely to movies and TV shows you can watch over the holidays. We also have an interview that you conducted with the director of Cold War, Pavel Pavlikowski, and we're talking about what we've been watching, of course. But first, Boxing Day. It's a big day for movies. And this year, much the same, lots of big releases. There's no Star Wars movie out this year, so uh, I think it's open slather on going to the movies. It's not getting amongst the every hour on the hour sessions of Star Wars. Has the, have the Star Wars movies been every year? Yes. For the oh. last, well, since they've been making okay. new ones. It's normally a week or two before Christmas, but still going strong. Anyway, that's not happening this year. That's right. What is happening? <laughs> oh, other things. So we've been lucky to see quite a few of these in advance, mm-hmm. and I've chosen to speak about the ones that I would recommend. Not the ones that you hated. Well, in truth, I didn't hate any of the Boxing Day releases. <laughs> Go to last week's episode if you want to hear other movies around the year that I did. Let's start with Vice. Let's. Multi-Golden Globe-nominated Vice. What do you say? I want you to be my VP. I want you. You're my Vice. Well, George, I, uh... I'm the CEO of a large company. And I have been Secretary of Defense. And I have been White House Chief of Staff. The Vice Presidency is a mostly symbolic job. Uh-huh. However, if we came to a uh, different understanding, I can handle the more mundane jobs overseeing bureaucracy, military, energy, and uh, foreign policy. Yeah, right. I like that. The story of Vice President Dick Cheney in the not well. It goes through his whole life. His rise to become the most powerful vice president in U.S. history. The quasi-president, if you like. Right. And it's written and directed by Adam McKay, who did The Big Short, also produced Succession, one of the best shows uh, of the year. Mm. And it stars Christian Bale as yes. Dick Cheney. For me, I think it's very much worth watching. It was all about uh, Christian Bale's performance for me. I thought he was... Great. He's very funny. He um, he had the smirk. He had all the the weight gain, the um, the heavy breathing, the comb over. Yeah, all that stuff. And he he looks he looks just like him. It's uncanny. He really does. Um, and it is a great performance. At moments, it veers on impersonation, but also he's doing a really great impersonation. And it yeah, to me, it kind of walked that line. But I think it I think it treaded it well. I wondered if it was more when I felt like it was faltering, I felt like more is more the movie's fault mm-hmm. than his necessarily. I because I didn't think there was a really deep movie built around that. Sure. So it is the story of how Dick Cheney came to be the vice president to George W. Bush, being yeah, throughout the ages, like in the Nixon era, and how his friendship and working relationship with Donald Rumsfeld covered decades and ultimately got him to the position he was in in uh, George W. Bush's running mate. Right. And George W. Bush, of all people, does not come out of this looking very good. He's pretty much played for laughs by Sam Rockwell. As is 
Donald Rumsfeld. Yes, played by Steve, Steve Carell. Carell. Yeah. Yes. So the casting on this, if you saw the big short, it's a lot of the same people. It's oh, like kind right. of the well, not not Ryan Gosling and Matthew McConaughey, but almost everyone else. And yeah, just the cronyism and. You can't watch this and not see it as a comment on the current occupant of the White House. They basically blame Cheney for everything that we're dealing with right now. Everything. <laughs> There's More a montage. Everything. And it's played for laughs and it's, yeah, it's it's by no means a hageography. It's not a biopic and authorised by any means. Um, no, certainly not authorised. <laughs> can't imagine it would be. Uh, no, but it, it's, it's a hell of a time. Amy Adams has a great role as Lynn Cheney, his... Supporter, agitator, yeah, she's she's right in there as well. Sort of, it's not wife on the end of a phone line kind of a role. She's she's very active in this movie. Yeah, I just wasn't sure that we actually answered the question of why or how he became the person that he was. You know, this evil genius, ruthless, cold blooded, et cetera, mm. et cetera. By the end, I I couldn't tell if we were meant to think that he was doing it just for the sake of power or because he wanted to please his wife. Like, there's no thematically. I just wasn't sure what we were getting at. Well, I don't think there's one definitive answer as well. I like the way the story was told. Like, it's it certainly, there's a narrator. And, uh, yeah, there is kind of a spoiler element if you sort of give away too much. But, yeah, there's this random person narrating and there's a bit of to-camera situation and that sort of switches it at, at another time. Yeah, and his his heart problems come in as well. There's quite funny moments where he, in a very downplayed way, he just says, I think I'm having a heart attack. Yeah, those are the funniest parts. Maybe I need to go to hospital. Very funny. Yeah, great yeah. moments like that that punctuate the story <laughs> at various times. Um, but, no, I mean, it all looks at how the Gulf War happened, why Iraq was in the spotlight after 9-11. Yeah, it's all sort of backroom meetings and, and the cronies plotting while W is happy that someone else is having to take <laughs> do all the hard work. Did you ever become aware or felt like you wa- you were watching a kind of left-wing propaganda? Like maybe it, like yeah. it had a very Michael Moore very much. kind of feeling to yeah. it. And there's a bit of a joke at the end that acknowledges that. But no, I, I thought at the time, like if Michael Moore made a narrative feature yeah. now, like one of his political ones, not some of the other ones he's made, you know, this is the movie that Michael Moore would be doing if he was doing dramatised versions of historical figures. Yeah, it's it's very, it's going for the same audience and it's it's playing it for laughs and it's quite outlandish, but it's also based on truth or I, a version of truth as they say this time. I thought that, that there was a little bit of a failing in that because I there was much more moralizing and editorializing than in The Big Short. Mm. And The Big Short is, I mean, they're going through a huge financial catastrophe that yeah. was felt all over the world. I don't know, it just yeah. seemed... Like excessive in this one, I think. Yeah, it's the same template of movie making. Yeah. Like it's kind of this wild Atlantish story based on factual events. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it probably worked better with The Big Short. Well, I know it did. That's how I feel. Yeah, um, agreed. Well, I didn't know what I actually expected. And I came out going, yeah, that was really good, but I don't love it. Yeah. What that's worth. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, I think it's still worth watching, but yeah, mm. I didn't love it. I love the way it was told. Like, I think he's got a great directing style. It's very energetic and yeah, it moves really quickly. It's over two hours long, but I didn't really feel the length. It did not feel it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's almost two and a half. Yeah. yeah, Two and a smidge and did not feel it. Yeah. So that's Vice. What are we talking about next? Another Boxing Day release is The Wild Pear Tree, a Turkish film by Nuri Bilgeselan, who won the Palme d'Or a couple of years back with The Winter Sleep. And I love his movies. Speaking of length, his movies... Never go under three hours, I don't think. But they feel really fresh and 
I remember his film Once Upon a Time in Anatolia. I saw that and I wanted to go right back in and watch it again. Loved it. So wow. there's a way to make a three-hour movie that doesn't feel like a three-hour movie, whereas other people make a 90-minute movie and it feels like a three-hour movie. So yeah. anywho, this is his newie and it is another three-hour film. And it's the story of a writer who returns to kind of the small village where he's from and he has a little bit of an elevated sense of self and sort of looks down at his neighbours and family and whatnot because he's trying to make good and, you know, small town syndrome kind of thing. But also he kind of has to make nice with everyone because he wants them to fund his next book, which is about them. (laughs) So he's treading that line. And his father, he's a bit of a deadbeat. He's a gambler and kind of spends the money before it hits his pocket kind of thing unless his mum can get (laughs) her hands on it to feed the family first. So um, this is all... In Nuribil Gusalan's style, it's quite allegorical and, you know, it kind of weaves a very intentional story, but it takes its time to tell it. So it kind of looks at his father's foibles. He's ashamed in the town, but, you know, he's upfront about his vices, whereas others, you see that they've got their own ones going on, but they're not upfront about it. And it kind of makes that connection of, is it better to just actually be open about your own shortcomings? Yeah, and the title is, of course, about the trees from the region, which are a bit misshapen and imperfect, much like the people. Right. Yes. Anyway, I'd recommend it. It's beautiful. Okay. Hmm. So there's a few other movies that are already out, kind of family-oriented, and I think I've I've mentioned a couple of them before. The Nutcracker in the Four Realms was one of my uh, most hated movies of, <laughs> of the last year. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. Didn't have a good time. Um, the Grinch. Hmm. It was all right. Okay. Nothing special. I've mentioned this before, but everyone should definitely see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, it's one of the best movies of the year. It's really, really great. Really fresh, exciting take on Spider-Man. So I liked it so much, I, I went to see it again oh. with my son. It was his favorite movie of the year. Well, I stuck around for the post-credits okay. uh, scene this time. You're going to stick around. And what's interesting about it is I, I think that it does a great job with fan service. In addition to being just a great movie that stands on its own, there's so many little references to the Spider-Man era comics that I, you know, kind of grew up with. And it's very funny. I won't spoil what what it is, but it, it was pretty good. Even on second viewing, it holds up remarkably well. I'm sure it's going to be on um, nominated for an Oscar. Um, and it's on lots of best movies of the mm. best of uh, lists, not just mine. Although mine was the most important one. Yours was the best, best list. Yeah. Um, Except for mine. A movie I can recommend a little bit less confidently is uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Which is out New Year's Day, I think. It's out New Year's Day. Mm -hmm. Did you love the, did you see the original Mary Poppins? Have I seen it? Yes. Yeah, I have great affection (laughs) for it. it? Well, I saw it very young and kind of have caught it a couple of times since. So yeah, it's full of whimsy and wonder. Are you motivated to see this new one? I'm going to say no. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I feel like the people that would love it the most might be the ones who loved that the original. Sure. And people with kids during the holidays yeah. and want to go into an air-conditioned theatre. I didn't love it. I, I found it kind of boring. Hmm. And I didn't realise it was going to be a musical until they started singing. How, how could and you then, not realise Mary Poppins totally, is going to be I musical. just forgot. I just okay. forgot. And then they started singing and then I thought, oh, no. Well, Lin-Manuel Miranda is in it, so that should have been your first clue. Yes, except that he didn't do the music. And I ended up, not that I, I haven't seen Hamilton. I've heard the music. I'm, it's 
Very nice. So he has one rap-ish song that's kind of okay. Emily Blunt is pretty good. It's a good likeness. Yeah, I, I have nothing against the movie. It's just probably, I'm not going to catch it, but it's very good costume design. I think yeah. she works as the character. It looks good, it. and it's on. It's shortlisted for... All of the things. Yeah, all of the things you Good would. luck in Star Wars Born You. But she's very likable, and she has really good chemistry with Meryl Streep in this one scene, which is the... I liked that one scene. Okay. So not so much yeah. a recommendation yeah. from you, and I haven't seen it. One I also haven't seen that I'm very keen to is The Favourite. Oh, me too. Yorgos Lanthimos. Looks really good. Anywho, can't talk about one we haven't seen. But one film I have seen and topped my best of list is Cold War. You loved this movie. I love it. I love it so. I can't wait to see it. You should. It's our Boxing Day. I loved um, Ida, his other one. Yes, the director, Pavel Pavlikowski, his other film, Ida, which won him the Oscar mm, a couple of years ago. So if you remember that one, that was the story of a novice about to take her orders in Poland in the 60s and she found out she had Jewish heritage and then went on a bit of a quest to see what happened to her family post-Holocaust. Incredible film, as is Cold War, which has nothing to do with that story. But again, it's another black and white film set in the 60s uh, behind the Iron Curtain and it's about this tempestuous, dysfunctional relationship between two musicians and it spans about a decade over the toing and froing of this tortured relationship. So it opens with two musicians looking to put together a musical troupe that represents the homeland in a sort of a folk presentation, um, like a very present a great face to the communist overlords. <laughs> you know, what kind of music a, is it? Well, folk songs. Okay. So they're they're going from town to town in a, in a banged up old van, trying to capture the spirit of songs, folk songs from around Poland, from which then they'll put together a musical troupe, singing and dancing, spectacular, to tour and be proud patriots. Sure. And anyway, part of the lineup, in comes this young ingenue who clearly has a bit of a sketchy backstory and probably told some lies to be able to get in the lineup, but she has this incredible voice and she stands out and hence love blossoms between she and the the band leader, bad luck to his uh, partner, who oh. has a face like thunder. She's incredible. I won't go any more with the plot because it's just, you just walk in their shoes for the next decade and it's incredible. And loosely based on Pavel Pavlikowski's own parents. Oh. I'll let him tell the story. But, uh, yes, largely inspired by his own parents' tortured, tempestuous love story. Interesting. <laughs> by which he was an observer, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> It's incredible. My tip is it's probably going to win the Oscar, but it's a strong lineup this year. It's just made the foreign language film shortlist. Now, you you had a chance to talk to the director, didn't you? I did, yes. We had a- How did it go? You tell me. We're about to listen to it. Hello. Hello. Pablo Pablokowski? Speaking. Pablo, thank you so much for joining us on the playlist. With Cold War, you, you dedicate this film to your parents, this wild yo-yoing love affair. Can you tell me more about their story and how, how it taps into the story on screen? Well, I dedicated them because of their presence on the screen. They are the inspiration for the, for, the, for the couple of the heroes in this film. In fact, they get their real names. Mm. Uh, and, and it's set in the world of, of my parents, of the times when they met, fell in love and complicated their lives late 40s, early, up until early 60s. Um, so, you know, these are the characters, the world, it's, it's all 
would if I inherited from my from my parents and and the tempestuous love affair which was on and off lasted for 40 years uh, is 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 inspiration and a bit of a blueprint for this story although it did change quite a lot of details just to, not to be hamstrung by by too much truth yeah. uh, but it's very much in the spirit of, the, of in their spirit the whole film the, the, the mess the, the chaos also the humor um, and the sad ending Right, yeah. And when did it occur to you, or when did you realise that you wanted to tell a version of their story? It's never so concrete, but it's mm. been, you know, never one exact moment, but it's, the story's been with me ever since they died in 1989. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of couple have attempted to kind of write similar stories for, for a while, and uh, never quite got it right, but that, yeah, Four years ago, maybe, or three years ago, after Ida mm. went out into the world, I realized that the time was right to actually do it. Um, and that I had the tools, that I knew how to tell it elliptically rather than boringly, you know, like mm. some kind of biopic. Sure. Uh, and I found the kind of visual visual key to how to do it. So uh, basically, I had to, to mature as a person, as a filmmaker, to, um, to be able to tell it well. Sure. And you didn't write yourself into this, you know, there's no child in the in the story. Is that intentional? No, no. Obviously no, it's intentional. No, the child was, no, it's a kind of afterthought. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, and I finished it, you know, as I said, I compressed it to 15 years, you know, so yeah. I uh, inventing, a, invented a, a different, a different uh, ending. Uh, so the child doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, bring them together, but mm. what does what fills the role of, the role of a child was music in this film. Right. Music becomes the, the character, the thing that brings them together, keeps them together, illustrates the different different um, moments in the in the life and the love, uh, the ups and the downs, the changes of location, the changes in time, and it's the same music that accompanies them throughout, but that reappears in different guises. Mm -hmm. First folk music, then as a kind of official folk music, <laughs> then uh, then as jazz and chansons, and then finally as kind of rockabilly pop. Yeah. So 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 they have music in common, but not a child. Yeah, sure. And how? Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely so beautiful the way you weave the music in, um, and just the period details as well. You know, you don't. Others might force it and, you know, might might have really overt production design to sort of give it a sense of time. But, you know, you're so spare in the way that you give little hints to the period. Uh, you know how others sort of tell a period story and it brings a certain stuffiness because it's set in the past. But, you know, your, your stories absolutely don't do that. And I'm just curious, I guess, how you do it, but also what you intentionally don't do in order to, in order to bring that. I try not to clutter the image and the soundtrack with too much information. You know, mm. like usually, often not usually, but very often when they do period films, they really try to prove the period. You know, yeah. with an inordinate amount of effort to to illustrate the period. You know, whereas I think the key thing is uh, is kind of good emotional through line, good truthful acting, and 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 a kind of. Uh, visual shorthand for, for the period so just tell the big thing by sm by small things you know? mm -hmm. it's my approach to photography you know it's, it's to, to suggest as much as possible with showing as little as possible yeah. but it 
works from people's imagination, you know. The main thing is that the characters are true for, you know, that the emotion is there, that the, the truth of the moment is there, and we don't spend time on lavish decorations and sets, in, in, you know, which, which is kind of dead time usually. Like you get that in British period films and mm -hmm. series a lot, you know, whereas uh, I think we should cut, cut to the chase and, yeah. and the rest is just, uh, you know, additional pleasure, but uh, yeah. that's not the main thing. Yeah, hee <laughs> hee, I'm with you on that. And I understand you're not all that rigid about sticking to a script when you shoot. Is that a fair fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I not even when I shoot, you know, all the time. You know, I, you know, when I write, there's like 150 versions. I change. There's no end to the writing. There's mm -hmm. no moment of the final script. Well, there has to be a script on which you raise the money, and it's usually not the best script, but the most informative, you know, so mm -hmm. people give you the, the money and the, the investors or other the institutions that in Europe handle the money, then when they read it, they feel kind of informed and clever about the whole thing. <laughs> and that script usually has a lot of adjectives and adverbs, you know, that color, you know, that tell you what you're supposed to feel. Uh, but but then the, the, the script I go into production with is usually much shorter and, and it's, oh, it's, you know, 60 pages max, you know, so sometimes less in some films, but it leaves scope for the for the cinema, for the invention, for the visual treatment of, of the film, and for new ideas which crop up all the time. Not, not like different story ideas, <laughs> but uh, how to tell you know, scenes better than what you'd imagined uh, sitting behind your laptop. <laughs> you know, very often you get much you know, inspired by your own film. You think, oh, the film has a life of its own, and actually that scene will completely bring it down. That scene that seemed good on paper and that everyone seems to have liked. But but I have a much better idea mm -hmm. <laughs> now that, uh, that we're actually shooting the thing. Uh, so I try to shoot just five day weeks and then have one day to rest and one day to edit and, and rewrite. Um, uh, take away all that kind of thing. So, so the film is, has a life of its own and is in perpetual, in perpetual kind of movement. Is the wrong word, but uh, you know, is alive to me. Yeah. And it probably comes from the fact when I was a, you know, I started out as a documentarist. Would I make kind of constructed documentaries, and, and I always had that kind of freedom to, to take, you know, step away and kind of change it a bit and, and, and come up with better things that were. What I'd imagined and recut it. Yeah, yeah. So all that to me is like a guarantee that you're not going to get stranded with a half-baked script or not a very good script, which is what I think happens most of the time with cinema. Yeah, sure. And I mean, you must be well supported to, to be able to to make the films this way, sort of, um, you know. And I guess you've you've earned the <laughs> you've earned the um, ability. Yeah, there well, to you make very low budget films. You know, I mean, yeah. you have that kind of freedom. You need to not spend too much money. <laughs> so the first fiction film I did was like something called Last Resort. It only cost three 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 hundred thousand pounds. Mm. But already that gave me a certain amount of freedom to cast who I wanted to to. Shoot and and sometimes reshoot or shoot different scenes that I wanted and 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 I just can't weed myself away from that approach mm. and and with each film that kind of plays its money back or has success mm. that gives me a little bit more leeway to to do that at a higher budgetary level but but in a normal American production I probably get fired after a week you know so <laughs> I have no 
<laughs> no illusions about that. <laughs> yeah, stick to what you know. It's working for you, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I have to ask about your actors and how you work with them because I mean they're just incredible and the intimacy that they have and how much time do you spend with them? And I guess this this process you're talking about probably helps that. But yeah, how do you how do you work on that with them? Yeah, I mean, each actor is different, you know, so you kind of have to find the key to, to each actor. Some actors are very technical or very kind of set in a way, so you have to undo that and kind of try to make them be rather than act in front of the camera. Others are, are, are good at being spontaneous, but sometimes that's not enough, and then you have to kind of uh, just work them so there's more color, more different um color to the performance, you know, it's, it really depends on the actor, mm. but I definitely give myself a, a, a time, you know, the, the prep time is quite long, and it's not just a, a time for rehearsals, but, but it's just time for being together, talking a lot, uh, sometimes trying out the scene in the park outside your house, <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know, just whatever works, but just time is a, is a, is a key factor, you know, time that's spent imagining then imagining our film together rather than working on other jobs. So so in this case, I had the two key actors that were at my disposal for maybe six, eight months. And uh, in the case of Joanna Kulic, she spent a lot of that time learning to dance with this folk ensemble. Yeah. So she traveled to this folk ensemble outside Warsaw twice a week and spent a lot of time there, which was actually not just about dancing, but she just learned to she can imbue the mentality of of, of, uh, of being in a collective and and um, the kind of vitality of, of these young dancers and the esprit de corps, the, all sorts of things which help her with the character. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, uh, Thomas Scott, who plays Victor, had to learn the piano and conducting, and that was that was quite a big 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 effort. And right. very often, these physical exercises actually help you with the character too, give you a certain kind of attitude, muscle memory, and all sorts of things which then are very useful to, to build the character. Yeah. Um, and with most actors, as you know, either you, you know, you kind of bring them down a bit, you know, we would have too many mannerisms and kind of acquired acting techniques from television and theater. Uh, sometimes you kind of, on the contrary, you know, build them up or give them space to, to be more free. Uh, it really is individual, you know, I've noticed with each film, you know, every actor has different requirements. Yeah, for sure. And an enormous shout out as well to your supporting actor. Is it Agatha? Is that her name? Um, Agatha, yeah. 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 And, you know, she's not in it very much, but <laughs> she has a face like no, thunder. She's, fantastic. she's incredible, yeah. I didn't have, you know, I mean, like, we'd work together, you know, so so with her, I don't need, I don't need to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> the, the lines, and, yeah. and she knows exactly the, the tone that's required and she knows I like it I like it stripped down and sharp and yeah. good timing but no great emphasis you know that yeah. kind of thing. so she she's she's a yeah and I, I can that character was already I knew she'd be playing that character <laughs> as soon as I invented it you know. <laughs> yeah no she's perfect in that role and the, the troop those kind of troops are they are they still around or are they sort of a relic of, of the past no, you know that these folk ensembles, there are two big ones and a lot of small ones, but two famous ones, and they're still around. Mm -hmm. They went through a tough patch when communism collapsed because yeah. they were very much state-sponsored and very expensive to run. Mm. You know, they had their chateaus expropriated in 1948 right. and given to them. 
and they are big, uh, they have a big uh, personnel, you know, it's a big ensemble. So they had problems, but, but they still exist. Their repertoire hasn't changed much, it's, it's, it's very it's great. And not only do they still exist, but the current government, which is very, which is uh, not Marxist-Leninist, as you know, but mm. it's ultra-nationalistic, mm. they've kind of adopted them, especially the one, Marofsha, the one that I worked with, mm -hmm. and decided that it represents the true face of Polish culture mm. again. Mm. <laughs> so history is really repeating itself, you know, yeah. so they actually pump money into this ensemble. The last year or so, yeah. they've been on, you know, they were in hard time. Had, they were kind of uh, doing badly financially, but suddenly they got this injection of uh, of cash, and they appear at state events now. They're so bizarrely, you know, yeah. they appeared on Polish TV recently. There was this, uh, this kind of official opening of a Polish airliner, Polish Airlines, uh -huh. um, beamliner flying to America, and some ministers were there and officials, and suddenly this folk ensemble appears, singing and dancing, that's, you know, folk songs. Yeah, sure. And friends of mine rang me and said, of course, we think your film is on telly, <laughs> but it's in colour, so... It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's been colourised. Anyway, so they've become the favourites of the, of the Ministry of Culture again. Wow. They're the, the real survivors. Yeah, they really are. Everything old is new again, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, speaking of the government and how that kind of can feed into your films, um, the, the response to EDA, you know, we don't have to go into all of it, obviously, but um, yeah. what was that like for you and how have you emerged from that, if you, you know, to, to work in the home? I mean, divided into, you know, by half, more or less. So half of Poland adored EDA, the other half detested EDA, not because they'd seen it, actually, but because the ruling party, which was then... Uh, launching an election campaign told them that it's an anti-Polish film, so they kind of take that on trust that it's anti-Polish, which is completely rubbish. Mm. So Ida, was, I was I was in the bad books over Ida, and they kind of used it as, an, as a tool of propaganda for the election campaign. You know, they actually mm. started a petition against it and blah blah blah. Not that the, you know the black and white art film was totally harmless to mm. their kind of electorate would never go to see that kind of thing, but because it started winning in awards, uh, yeah, all the awards possible, yeah. and then Oscar suddenly became a political fact, so they kind of used it to say, look, Poland is bad mouth, you don't have to see the film because it's boring and <laughs> and so on, but we tell you, it's, it puts us in a very bad light, trust us, sign this petition, and look, you know, there's a conspiracy against Poland, that's why it's popular in the West, that's why, you know, it's done well in Hollywood, because you know who rules Hollywood. Oh, um, so it just, it was just kind of, it was a nasty, vulgar smear campaign which helped them with the election um, yeah. And now that they're in power, they kind of slightly overshot the mark. So, and they realise that they need filmmakers, you know, because they're trying to kind of, you know, there's a Ministry of Culture, there's, you know, there's a film fund, you know, so somebody doesn't make these bloody films, and most filmmakers are not at their bidding. Yeah. So they've calmed down a bit, and with this film, because it's hugely popular in Poland, mm. you know, it's had like 850,000 admissions. Uh, they are kind of trying to be nice, you know, yeah. nice to me, and and they uh, kind of trying to co-opted and they actually put some money towards the, the, the film fund which now they've taken over they put some money towards the film going to Cannes because we need some we need some money to show it in Cannes mm -hmm. you know so they're trying to be nice but I'm keeping my distance they do have a narrative which is very primitive unartistic as hell you know it's yeah. world is very very simplistic our history is very unproblematic and we're just victims or heroes and so on and so on it's you know you know it's Trump, Trumpism is yeah. spreading everywhere, and Poland is, was 
Trump before Trump. I mean, the mm. current government. Yeah. So not great, but but then again, somebody has to make the films, you know, and the films done well, so that it's kind of escaped yeah. their clutches anyway. And uh, and let's hope you know other filmmakers will have the same amount of freedom still to make films that they want to make, not films which are the bidding of the Ministry of Culture and the narrative that they want to sell to the world. No, absolutely, yeah, very well put. We like to end by asking our guests, what else they've been watching? Like, have you been? Do you get a chance to watch many other films? I know you're promoting your own one, but yeah, have you been no, watching I'm, much you know, I'm always looking out for good films, and it's a yeah. good year for films, you yeah. know. So I like quite a lot. I like The Favourite. I like The Birds of Passage, uh, Roma by my yeah. friend Alfonso. Yeah. But on what else was good? Um, the, the Korean, South Korean film, uh, The Burning, was really interesting. Ah, yeah. Well, um, look, thank you so much. We've covered a lot in, in this short time, but I really appreciate talking to you, and I love your film, in case you can't tell. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. All the best. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was, it was super interesting how he made it not so strictly autobiographical. Yeah. that could be tricky. Yeah, he didn't put Baby Pubble in there. That was fantastic. Gotta say it. Well, you should, and uh, Cold War is out Boxing Day. Now, Fiona... You can go to the movies, to the theater to see movies. Yes, but then you run the risk of being surrounded by terrible people. Oh my God, do you ever. If you're um, tired of people being on their phones all the time, <laughs> you can just stay at home. Do you have any recommendations for things that people can stream? I sure do. There are some great movies at SBS On Demand, as it happens. One that has just recently come to the service is I Am Not Madame Bovary. Oh, which, yeah. yeah, I did speak about when it was in the cinemas about a year ago. Chinese film from uh, Chinese director Feng Zhaogang, superstar director, with Fan Bingbing uh, in the lead. And I, I love this movie. And it is sort of a dark comedy with a bit of a circuitous plot of a woman who was married and she and her husband agreed to get a fake divorce in order to qualify for an apartment that was for single people. But... The bastard, he actually took the divorce as real and up sticks and left. She's understandably quite upset about that and goes to various local authorities and up through the justice system in China to try and get this divorce annulled, right. <laughs> if such a thing, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Get them to yeah, yeah. ignore the off. divorce. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. So that then they're officially married again and she can divorce him. Right. Right? Damn right. Follow the logic. <laughs> so anyway, so it's sort of that dark kind of comedy there. 
And it's frustrating going through all the labyrinthine, you know, local justices all the way up to the big red room in the big city. So oh, wow. it's um, yeah, incredible and quite, yeah, if you stay with it, quite beautiful the okay. way it ends. Love it. Fantastic. I'm not Madame Bovary. Great. Yes. What would you recommend? So I've got a couple of TV recommendations. Um, I've talked about it before on the show, You're the Worst, seasons one through four are available just ahead of season five, which is coming to SBS Viceland and SBS On Demand in January. But I just finished watching one through four, and it's a very funny show about the misanthropic adventures of a couple of very hateful um, <laughs> uh, people uh, in L.A. And yeah. um, Great. And, you know, particularly at this time when people have a bit more time on their hands, maybe you even get some new devices to... Over the holidays, Christmas yes. and whatnot. Why don't you stream something on it like that? Absolutely. I've got another movie, and this is not festive, and I guess none of the ones I'm recommending are, but um, I, Daniel Blake. Great movie. Great movie. It's not festive. <laughs> nope. That is not festive. But important, and you should watch it. Yeah, and it's great. it won the Palm d'Or a couple of years ago. Wonderful story of just walking in someone's shoes and just the another labyrinthine. What is with me at the moment? Um, through. Are you, you going to recommend Labyrinth next? <laughs> no, but the nightmare of dealing with the public service and trying to get benefits. And yes, this I didn't even realise the connections to I'm not Madame Bovary when I made this list. Anywho, it's wonderful and yeah. heartbreaking and just authentic, gorgeous, all okay. the adjectives. Watch it. Yeah, it's I, a great Daniel movie. Blake. I'm going to recommend another TV show. I just realised this today, but Search Party ah. is still available the first two seasons. I'm not sure when the third season's coming back, but it will happen at some point. And in the meantime, you should watch these first two seasons. It's an incredibly funny show, really sharp, nasty satire. Everyone in it is hilarious. John Early, especially. I mean, they're all good. Mm. Meredith Hagner. Friend Alia, of the show. Friend of, friend of the show. Yes, that's right. Alia Shawkat and um, John Reynolds. Everybody, all four of them, so good. Please watch this show. It is good. I haven't finished season two, so that's what I'm doing on my holidays. Hurry up. I know, right. Another movie, not about the public service. <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin. Still haven't seen it. Really? What's the new one um, that came out that was- um... From friend of the show, Lynn Oh, yeah, Ramsey. of course. Um, I really liked- um, You were never really- You were never really here, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anywho, this one is from a couple of years ago, uh, Tilda Swinton playing the mother- of a boy who commits an atrocity at the school and she's living, it's all post that and it's she's reflecting back of what did I do, did I make him turn that way? And the boy is played by Ezra Miller before he oh, took yeah. on DC, DC wasn't it? Flash. Yes. He's Flash. Yes, yeah. he's Flash. In this, he's Kevin. And um, no, I think it's wonderful that this, so anywho, it's okay. a bit dark, <laughs> but Merry Christmas. I just want... To quickly remind everyone that they should be they should watch Brokeback Mountain. I love this movie. It's on on demand. It's a beautiful story. Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal are both really good in it. Super super sad. Mm. I was reminded of that when I rewatched it again recently. Um, yeah, that's it. Mm. Another one super sad. What is with us? End of year yeah. melancholy setting in. Well, we um, covered the festive stuff at the beginning. We did. Yeah, Volver. Well, great movie. Yes, is available at SBS On Demand. Pedro Almodovar, story of ghosts and 
the yeah it takes the idea well volver is called is return in spanish yeah it looks at sort of a, a deceased mother who is quote unquote living and helping out around the house and it's kind of you know it's it's beautiful and sad and wonderful and i'm going to catch that again over the holidays fantastic yeah i've got one more is this too it. much okay. no it's never too much and just for something completely different i've got the untamed Mexican film from Amal Escalante, and it's the story. Bear with me here. It's a story of a regional town, which is kind of pretty dreary, and people are all kind of loveless marriages and um, lonely, or they're closeted, self-hating gay men, or one in particular. But some of them are getting by on clandestine trips to a woodshed over the other side of town to be probed by an alien sex monster. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you knew I was going to say that. Why not? So that's, by the way, <laughs> this is yeah. happening other side of town and, you know, looking at kind of makes life more bearable if you get your end away by a beast that um, makes, you know, the rest of your life is okay if this is something that you can yeah. have happen. Um yeah, it's not played for laughs. Like, it's a very realistic film until it's not. And much like Spielberg, doesn't show the shark very much in the film. Yeah, right. But then there's a bit of a reveal. Okay. Hello, alien sex monster in the woodshed. Sort shed. of. Sounds a little bit like The Grinch. I'm sure there's an essay somewhere that does um, an analysis of the two. Well, that's a wide variety of um, movies and TV shows you can watch. That's isn't a it? weird spot to end on. But yes, I've seen them all. I can recommend them all. Well, that's all the time we have for our show. Make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. Give us some stars. Say something nice that helps people find the show. If you want to get in touch, we're on Facebook and Twitter at SBS Movies. I'm on Twitter at Nick Bassine. I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. The Playlist is produced by Dan Barrett with audio and mixing by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>